Welcome to Bible Curious, where we explore the entire Bible from cover to cover, asking ourselves, what is the Holy Bible? What claims does it make about God? And what message does it have for us today? Whether you are faithful or unfaithful, believing, unbelieving, or just plain curious, this series is for you. I'm Arthur Milliken, and today we will be reading Job chapters 29 through 31 from the World English Bible. You can find our reading plan at biblecurious.org plan. The Book of Job, Chapter 29, Introduction God defined wisdom in the following manner. To man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. To depart from evil is understanding. Wisdom and understanding, according to Job, cannot be purchased with wealth, nor can they be discovered by man anywhere within the earth. These are divine qualities, from which innumerable other blessings flow. When people experience deep tragedy, does it draw them closer to God, or does it widen their separation? With Job, his immediate reaction was to bless Yahweh, but as the reality of his situation sunk in, he found himself drifting away from his faith, and we can see that Job's spiritual darkness is even more tragic than his material losses. And yet, Job took care never to curse God directly, even while knowing God was responsible for his suffering. Now, we will see Job expressing hope for the future by looking backward toward past glory. Notice how much pleasure Job takes in his ability to give encouragement to those around him. This chapter includes Job's former blessings. Chapter 29 Job again took up his parable and said, Oh, that I were, as in the months of old, as in the days when God watched over me, when his lamp shone on my head, and by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in my prime, when the friendship of God was in my tent, when the Almighty was yet with me, and my children were around me, when my steps were washed with butter, and the rock poured out streams of oil for me. Then I went out to the city gate when I prepared my seat in the street. The young men saw me and hid themselves. The aged rose up and stood. The princes refrained from talking and laid their hand on their mouth. The voice of the nobles was hushed and their tongue stuck to the roof of their mouth. For when the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it commended me, because I delivered the poor who cried, and the fatherless also, who had no one to help him. The blessing of him who was ready to perish came on me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness, and it clothed me. My justice was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, 
and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I researched the cause of him whom I didn't know. I broke the jaws of the unrighteous and plucked the prey out of his teeth. Then I said, I will die in my own house. I will count my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters. The dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh in me. My bow is renewed in my hand. Men listened to me, waited, and kept silence for my counsel. After my words, they didn't speak again. My speech fell on them. They waited for me as for the rain. Their mouths drank as with the spring rain. I smiled on them when they had no confidence. They didn't reject the light of my face. I chose out their way and sat as chief. I lived as a king in the army, as one who comforts the mourners. Surely the same God who had blessed Job in the past is capable of blessing Job again in the future. Even more important than his material wealth was Job's ability to share God's bounty with others who needed it. One very interesting verse stood out to me. Verse 6 reads, The rock poured out streams of oil for me. The ancient Near East, according to history, was technologically primitive compared to the modern world. In the time of Job, oil would have been produced either from animal fats or from plant matter such as olives. Why, then, does the book of Job describe oil as coming from the rock? I believe the book of Job was written about 1500 BC, but even the most hardcore skeptical atheist would have to agree that Job is at minimum two and a half thousand years old, and yet here it is. The rock poured out streams of oil for me. Another reference to oil coming from rocks is Deuteronomy 32.13. He caused him to suck honey out of the rock, oil out of the flinty rock, butter from the herd, and milk from the flock. Passages like these cause me to pause and consider the possibility that ancient history might have been quite different from the picture given to us in public school textbooks. The Book of Job, Chapter 30, Introduction After contemplating the great glory he received before calamity struck, Job now considers just how far he has fallen. When a man loses things which gave him honor, he then receives contempt from other men. Men have a habit of kicking other men when they are down. This chapter includes Job's honor turned into contempt. Job's prosperity becomes calamity. Chapter 30 But now, those who are younger than I have in me derision, whose fathers I considered unworthy to put with my sheepdogs. 
Of what use is the strength of their hands to me, men in whom ripe age has perished? They are gaunt from lack and famine. They gnaw the dry ground in the gloom of waste and desolation. They pluck salt herbs by the bushes. The roots of the broom tree are their food. They are driven out from among men. They cry after them as after a thief so that they live in frightful valleys and in holes of the earth and of the rocks. They bray among the bushes. They are gathered together under the nettles. They are children of fools. Yes, children of wicked men. They were flogged out of the land. Now I have become their song. Yes, I am a byword to them. They abhor me. They stand aloof from me. And don't hesitate to spit in my face. For he has untied his cord and afflicted me, and they have thrown off restraint before me. On my right hand rise the rabble. They thrust aside my feet. They cast their ways of destruction up against me. They mar my path. They promote my destruction without anyone's help. As through a wide breach they come, they roll themselves in amid the ruin. Terrors have turned on me. They chase my honor as the wind. My welfare has passed away as a cloud. Now my soul is poured out within me. Days of affliction have taken hold of me. In the night season, my bones are pierced in me, and the pains that gnaw me take no rest. My garment is disfigured by great force. It binds me about as the color of my tunic. He has cast me into the mire. I have become like dust and ashes. I cry to you, and you do not answer me. I stand up, and you gaze at me. You have turned to be cruel to me. With the might of your hand, you persecute me. You lift me up to the wind and drive me with it. You dissolve me in the storm. For I know that you will bring me to death, to the house appointed for all living. However, doesn't one stretch out a hand in his fall, or in his calamity therefore cry for help? Didn't I weep for him who was in trouble? Wasn't my soul grieved for the needy? When I looked for good, then evil came. When I waited for light, darkness came. My heart is troubled and doesn't rest. Days of affliction have come on me. I go mourning without the sun. I stand up in the assembly and cry for help. I am a brother to jackals and a companion to ostriches. My skin grows black and peels from me. My bones are burned with heat. Therefore my harp has turned to mourning, and my pipe into the voice of those who weep. 
Let's take a moment to consider the classical interpretation of the book of Job. The overwhelming consensus among Bible scholars is that Job knows nothing about the dispute between God and his adversary, and therefore does not know that God is testing him. This interpretation would certainly amplify the horror and pity over Job's predicament, but would also portray God as a tyrannical egotist who needs Job to suffer in order to satisfy his adversary's challenge. We can admire Job's ability to praise God in the moments immediately after his devastating losses, but Job's extended criticism of God's justice in the following chapters reveals a much deeper disturbance happening within Job's psyche. If we take Job's story as a parable, the lesson is one of humility. We can't know God's true motives, so we must patiently endure and hope that God vindicates us in the end. There is some wisdom in this interpretation. However, even deeper truth can be revealed by asking, who is this adversary? Why does God answer his challenge in this way? Whoever this Satan is, he clearly has much to learn from God, and God finds it worthwhile to teach him the error of his assumptions. If we can recognize that Satan lives within each and every one of us, then we might learn something about our own struggle with faith. The truth is that God has vindicated us through his Son, and in doing so, has vindicated himself as well. The Book of Job, Chapter 31 Introduction in his final appeal, Job reveals that he has already been living in a covenant relationship with God and that he has been faithful to this covenant. Those who accuse Job do so falsely, and Job is confident to stand behind his own good name. Remember that Job lives at a time even before the Ten Commandments were given at Mount Sinai and yet he understands well the basic principles of the law. Don't lust, don't covet, don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't wish harm upon your enemies, don't worship other gods. Share what is yours with others who are in need. This chapter includes Job's final appeal. Chapter 31 I made a covenant with my eyes. How then should I look lustfully at a young woman? For what is the portion from God above and the heritage from the Almighty on high? Is it not calamity to the unrighteous and disaster to the workers of iniquity? Doesn't he see my ways and count all my steps? If I have walked with falsehood, and my foot has hurried to deceit. Let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know my integrity. If my step has turned out of the way, if my heart walked 
after my eyes. If any defilement has stuck to my hands, then let me sow and let another eat. Yes, let the produce of my field be rooted out. If my heart has been enticed to a woman and I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another and let others sleep with her. For that would be a heinous crime. Yes, it would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for it is a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. If I have despised the cause of my male servant or of my female servant when they contended with me, what then will I do when God rises up? When he visits, what will I answer him? Didn't he who made me in the womb make him? Didn't one fashion us in the womb? If I have withheld the poor from their desire, or have caused the eyes of the widow to fail, or have eaten my morsel alone, and the fatherless has not eaten of it, no, from my youth he grew up with me as with a father. I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing, or that the needy had no covering, if his heart hasn't blessed me, if he hasn't been warmed with my sheep's fleece, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless because I saw my help in the gate, then let my shoulder fall from the shoulder blade and my arm be broken from the bone. For calamity from God is a terror to me. Because of his majesty, I can do nothing. If I have made gold my hope and have said to the fine gold, you are my confidence, if I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, because my hand had gotten much, if I have seen the sun when it shined, or the moon moving in splendor, and my heart has been secretly enticed, and my hand threw a kiss from my mouth, this also would be an iniquity to be punished by the judges, for I would have denied the God who is above. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me, or lifted up myself when evil found him, I have certainly not allowed my mouth to sin by asking his life with a curse. If the men of my tent have not said, Who can find one who has not been filled with his meat? The foreigner has not camped in the street, but I have opened my doors to the traveler. If, like Adam, I have covered my transgressions by hiding my iniquity in my heart, because I feared the great multitude and the contempt of families terrified me so that I kept silence and didn't go out of the door. Oh, that I had one to hear me. Behold, here is my signature. Let the Almighty answer me. Let the accuser write my indictment. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and I would bind it to me as a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. I would go near to him like a prince. If my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together, if I have eaten its fruits without money or have caused its owners to lose their life, 
Let briars grow instead of wheat, and stinkweed instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. Job understands that man is deceitful and can play innocent when he knows he is guilty. When he says, If, like Adam, I have covered my transgressions by hiding my iniquity in my heart, Job implies that Adam was guilty of something much greater than simply eating the wrong piece of fruit. And we know this is the case. It was Adam who played the role of the serpent in the Garden of Eden, first deceiving his wife, then trying to shift blame once he was caught. And while wily Adam may have been able to fool us, his own descendants, he never fooled God. Here, Job asks about God. Doesn't he see my ways and count all my steps? When you make a covenant with God, you let God into your life and he holds you to account, offering you those trials you need in order to grow spiritually. Why would God take away everything Job found precious? Because those things were sabotaging his faith. In chapter 1, the adversary asked, Does Job fear God for nothing? Haven't you made a hedge around him, and around his house, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But stretch out your hand now, and touch all that he has, and he will renounce you to your face. In response to this challenge, Yahweh revealed Job's heart by removing all of the things which stood between him and God, leaving Job with nothing but a deep yearning in his soul for justice. But God himself never abandoned Job, and Job, despite his bitterness, never abandoned God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, may we rejoice in our total and utter dependence on you. You are the source of all joy, all happiness, all wisdom, all understanding. Feed us with the bread that only you can provide. Wash us with blood offered to us in grace from your only begotten Son. In Jesus' holy name, we pray. Thank you for listening. If you've satisfied any of your Bible curiosity, please rate this series. If you have feedback, write a review. And if you are still curious for more, please smash that subscribe button so that we can send you timely updates. And join us for our next episode where we will be reading Job chapters 32 to 34. I am young and you are very old. Sounds about right, doesn't it? This is Arthur Milliken saying good night and God bless.